Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. So at the moment, there is a lot of conflicts between the built and the natural environment. Uh, as example, when we build, we build large, that means a lot of materials. We build long, often infrastructures last anywhere from 50 to 100 years, which often means a lot of repeated repairs. Just imagine the roadways we travel on, here on Parkway near here, we see construction or reconstruction events practically every summer. So that's a lot of carbon and a lot of material usage that affects climate change. So we are doing things to the climate, to the natural environment, and climate change comes back and hit us with stronger forces on our infrastructures, like hurricanes, flooding, fires that impacts our infrastructure. So this kind of interaction is obviously negative and not sustainable. And my research attempts to harmonize through better advanced materials. I think it's useful to point out that the um, materials that we are working with is an attempt to try to drive down the carbon footprint of the materials, right? uh, such as by sequestering carbon dioxide directly in concrete materials. So using concrete as a building material as always, but also locking up gaseous carbon dioxide, take carbon dioxide uh, that is emitted uh, due to any industrial activities such as cement production or energy production, those carbon we take back and lock them up into concrete. Right? So that helps to reduce embodied carbon. Right? And we also make this concrete lasting a lot longer than normal concrete. So they are very resilient, they are highly damage tolerant, meaning that it can last for a long time. So we reduce the repair frequency. Okay? So that reduces the operational carbon when the infrastructures are put in place to use. Right? So uh, having that understanding, it helps to understand therefore that our research aims at impacting all the industries uh, that deals with the built environment, going from transportation industry, uh, the Department of Transportation, for example, uh, has a lot to of say on that. The, built, the building industry, architecture, for example, construction, right? And more recently, we are dealing with uh, new methods of construction, okay? Um, and that would impact, for example, the robotic industry. And of course, the material industry, I should point out. <laughs> right. So a very broad spectrum of industries that we deal with. I think there is much greater recognition and a recognition of the need as well as the time urgency to deal with the fact that we are, as we build, there is no question we need the built environment and we need the natural environment at the same time. But the recognition that there is a conflict is becoming stronger and stronger, uh, particularly with the fact that climate change 
is no longer something in the future, it is already here. Uh, just imagine the recent fires in Australia and California and the flooding and hurricanes that has affected uh, coastal communities and the infrastructures built in those communities. Right? So uh, that recognition has accelerated this type of research um, and uh, the, uh, particularly, for example, the uh, need for sequestering carbon uh, in concrete material uh, is something that has really speed, sped up uh, over the last uh, half the decade. So uh, we work both with graduate students and undergrads um, and for the graduate students doing research uh, as well as uh, participating in our interaction with industry, uh, with government agencies. So uh, earlier uh, last year, for example, I testified before the, uh, the House of Representatives in, in uh, Lansing. So it's interesting to interface with different entities and it's necessary, not just interesting, but it's necessary, right? Because a lot of these activities are not just limited to research, but they impact people. And it's necessary to interface with people who are uh, organizations who have a stake. So all the stakeholders, our students also interface with them. So they uh, get educated, not just in research, not just in the technical field, but understanding that once they graduate from U of M, they will be part of that larger and broader entity, and they will be exerting their own inferences. I have actually a good number of students who are now working in industry, uh, leaders in uh, commercial firms, uh, designing buildings and so on, and others who are working in professional societies, uh, vice president of the uh, National Ready Mix Concrete Association, for example. So they are actually literally uh, practicing <laughs> the uh, field of engineering in real life, in real time, um, and take what they learn and actually expand it. And we, we keep in touch very closely. Uh, many, we interact with many of those students who return to back, to back to campus. And uh, so often they help us back <laughs> because they are now in good positions to uh, create positive influences on society. And the same with undergraduates. Uh, of course, classroom learning, we bring a lot of these uh, into the classroom, uh, a lot of the uh, new findings uh, integrated into coursework. And some undergraduates in turn find it interesting enough that they want to join us in the laboratory and shadow some of the grad students doing research and find out whether they actually want to do graduate studies or not. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of uh, different facets uh, of interaction between different types of students. So the House uh, has a committee on transportation um, and they are particularly interested in how advanced materials such as what we invented at U of M can help to improve the quality of mobility of uh, our roads and bridges. Right. And in Michigan we have unfortunately uh, relatively negative <laughs> uh, uh, reputation uh, of, our, of our state of our roads um, and uh, I think most of us would like to 
change that. And one way to do that is not repeated repair and repair and repair. That's, as I mentioned earlier, not obviously not sustainable uh, because of the resource use and the energy use and the carbon emissions every time we carry out repairs. And it's not just the material that goes into the repair or the construction equipment. It's also the traffic that gets stopped. Right? We all have the experience of uh, stuck in traffic jams waiting to get through a construction or reconstruction site. And that tailpipe emission is enormous. Right? So that's hurting the environment. And, and anything we can do to expand the service life, uh, creating material that lasts a lot longer, much more durable than current concrete, uh, would help to alleviate that kind of problem, both for our citizens as well as for the environment. And so we, we have work cut out for us. <laughs> so uh, fortunately, our Congress, uh, our House of Representatives, uh, they are interested and in try to uh, uh, learn more about this and uh, we are also working with MDOT to uh, get this type of technology from our lab into the field. We recognize that while we are good at doing the research that we are doing, we also have limitations, for example, in bringing these new technologies into the market. And that's, that's part of the reason why I mentioned the importance of working with government agencies, but also with partnering with uh, industries who are practicing, who are doing the construction work and so on. So for that reason, we in fact are building, as we speak now, a new center, a center for low carbon built environment. And this center <coughs> is exactly for that purpose, creating a platform to bring together expertise around campus, not just engineering, but also architecture, business school, school of policy, school of sustainability and environment and so on. We bring all of them together with different perspectives to try to address this big and urgent problem, which is climate change. Right? So the vision of the center is aimed at reducing carbon by 50% in 10 years in the built environment. And that's extremely important because the built environment is responsible responsible for more than 50% of the carbon that we human beings generated as a result of our activities. And so that's by, by uh, trying to cut down uh, by a factor of two, that's going to be uh, aim, uh, helpful in, in uh, pulling down the temperature curve uh, because it's rising much too fast. Okay? And when I say urgency, I meant I have in mind the temperature curve rising up uh, and hitting the so-called 1.5 degrees C critical temperature uh, that's determined by the intergovernmental uh, panel on uh, climate change. And that temperature is considered critical because it will in impact in a big way uh, human beings, particularly coastal cities, uh, flooding and so on. Uh, so the time frame we are talking about getting to that critical point is only 15 to 30 years. And that's very short. So that's the reason why we need to get everybody together 
uh, both researchers and industry and government and ordinary citizens to work together to drive down this temperature curve. And we are confident we will be able to do it. Uh, we have methodologies, we have approaches to do it. Uh, but it also requires a lot beyond technology. Uh, codes, standards, uh, willpower, <laughs> willingness to make changes. And our center is aimed at creating just that. We are actually working with 20-some uh, faculty members on a very unique project. Uh, and that project is on um, Lego-inspired construction method. And it actually, it pertains directly to this. That's, that's one of many ways of doing things, right? So right now, uh, construction is done in such a way that we build, we use, and then we knock it down, literally, <laughs> right? We knock it down uh, and break it into small parts. And uh, most of it goes to landfill. Some parts of it may, may be recycled, um, but most of it goes to landfill. And that's not really the best idea. So a better idea, uh, in fact, comes from Lego toys, right? Kids play with Legos. And the way they do that is they put them together. Uh, one day they might make a train out of this. And another day they might disassemble it, break it down into pieces again, and then reassemble it into a plane or a house or something different, right? So these blocks, are totally recycled, re reused. I, I should not say recycled, they are reused. Right? Um, why don't we build like that? Right? So we have good material that allows us to form these blocks that can be constructed by robots. And we can digitally simulate how we actually build this. So we are, this project, we bring together expertise in engineering, in materials, in digital technology, in robotics, but also have architects okay, who are designing the buildings. So the, what we imagine, what we envision is that in the future, we'll be able to do 3D printing of these blocks using robots. Uh, so construction would go from away from construction sites and into manufacturing plants. Um, and then these robots will be stored uh, in warehouses. And let's say an architect design a building, um, then that information will be digitally translated and allow us to fetch the appropriate types of blocks and number of them, which will be transported to the construction site and another robot will come in and do connecting together into a, a building. Now, that's not the end of the story. Uh, some years later, let's say it becomes obsolete, we need a larger building or we need the land for something different. Instead of knocking that building down, we bring the robot back and disassemble it the other way. And then these blocks can be reused to build, let's say, a bridge, for example. So these blocks will keep recycling from one type of structure to another. And our imagination is that these blocks could be used forever. So of course, there may be damages and so on. So there are also techniques that we are already thinking about how to repair them in a very effective way.
Now, one thing that's particularly interesting to Earth Day is that these blocks <coughs> will they will be three D printed, but before they hardened, we actually allow them to capture carbon. So we'll actually put these blocks into a reactor, and carbon dioxide gas would flow in there, and then they would diffuse into these blocks and turn into minerals, calcium carbonates, right? So they, they become solids inside these blocks. So the blocks that becomes the building is actually storing carbon, sequestering carbon permanently. So U of M is a perfect place uh, because, as I mentioned, we need people with different uh, perspectives and expertise. So what that implies is interdisciplinary research, right? cutting across disciplines. And U of M is fantastic because we have strong units across many different fields, engineering, medicine, business, everything you can think of is at U of M. Now, it's not just the excellence of the different units, but it's also the low barrier to collaborate across units. So as a faculty member, I feel that that's a very strong blessing for us, that we can talk to our colleagues in different units. Um, and often, they are fantastic to talk to because they have ideas that I've never thought of. And they bring different perspectives that I feel like, oh, I should have talked to you a long time ago. And uh, it happens almost on a weekly basis when I speak with people, talk to people from different units. And we need their help. We need their perspective. We need their talents. It's a big problem. It's an urgent problem. So we need all the help that we can get. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.